and just listen to the most overplayed song of 2015. Uh, that thing got played a bunch. And so today we're talking about gluttony, which is basically, the, the point is this. There is such a thing as too much of a good thing. Now, when you talk about gluttony, typically, by the way, we're, we're in this series about epic fail, and we're looking at the seven deadly sins, and uh, these, it's, it's kind of interesting to me how relevant they are for today. Now, this was a list that, uh, it's really not specifically spelled out in the Bible as these are the seven deadly sins, but there was a guy about 300 AD who began to study scripture, and he noticed that um, there were kind of recurring themes of stuff that trips you up. This was 300 AD, and here we are in 2016, 2016, uh, not 2016, 2016, and um, the same stuff that tripped cats up in 300 AD are are the same things that trip us up today. It's just sort of interesting to me. So the notion today is that there there can be too much of a good thing. Basically, gluttony doesn't, we usually think about it in relationship to food, but it's bigger than that, pardon the pun, Um, it's... It has to do with just any pleasure that we overdo. You can overdo certain pleasures. And so uh, you have to know when to say when. Now, I'll give you an example. When Miriam and I first got married, Miriam is right there. She's got the little polka dots on wave. This is my wife. Did you see her, everybody? She waved like this. It was uh, kind of pathetic. One of the challenges of young couples that are just married is to find things that you, um, uh, she would cook that I would eat, basically. That was kind of the challenge. And so, now, um, she found this thing at the, at the grocery store where you can make your own fajitas. I, are you all southern enough to know what a fajita is? I mean, you know, okay, fajitas, all right. Now... We could never order fajitas at a restaurant because they're kind of expensive. But Miriam made fajitas. And have, do you, have you ever been to the restaurant when somebody orders fajitas? What, what happens? The, the guy brings it out and it's sizzling, right? It's like cheering for itself. I mean, it's, it's awesome. And then there's, a, there's like a, a, an aroma coming up. and you, This is a little known fact of the Old Testament. But in the temple worship, they, they talk about incense. Mm-mm, it was fajitas. Uh, you, not everybody knows that, but that's really that's just for us. Don't go tell people uh, outside our church. Anyway, I mean, like, fajitas are the food of the gods. And Miriam found a recipe. Actually, it was like a, it was just a package of stuff. And so she would add the meat, and then it already had the peppers and onions. And, and she would cook it. And, and I mean... I requested that because there wasn't really much else uh, that was good. Uh, I requested that often. And then there was a day. You all know how this feels. There was a day when she brought fajitas and put them on in front of me, and I was like, mm, I'm going to eat this. I'm going to choke this down. But I don't ever want to see another fajita in my life. I still don't like them because we had them too much. There is such a thing as too much of a good thing. Now, in our society, and we kind of, this all is relative to what we do as people in America, two prevailing uh, ideas are out there. So I want to show them to you. Number one, 
if it feels good, do it, no matter what it is. If it feels good, do it. If you have an outline, by the way. Oh, you have an outline when you got your little bulletin. So, if it feels good, do it. More is always better. This is sort of what we're constantly told. If it feels good, do it. No matter what it is, no matter who says you shouldn't do it. If it feels good, do it. And more is always better. Now, this sort of runs contrary to what Scripture tells us. That there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. And somebody has called these, this, these notions the, the gods of pleasure. That if I like it, I'm going to do it. And, 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 you know, and we make songs about it. If loving you is wrong. What's the, what's the next verse? I don't want to be right. Oh, I got the pipes. Yeah. Um, I'll sing a little uh, journey later. Uh, if it feels good, do it. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. It doesn't particularly matter. Now, I read an article this week from, um, it, it's an older article, but it was in L.A. Times. And this is what they write about Americans. Americans seemed hooked, hook, hooked sorry, on the idea of having addictions. These days, almost anyone might have an addiction. It's not, if not to drugs or alcohol, then to food, cigarettes, exercise, relationships, sex, shopping, work, video games. By the way, uh, last year there was a guy in uh, Taiwan who spent 50 straight hours playing an online video game and he died of a heart, uh, heart failure. Um, there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. Let me continue with the article. Habits that were once called compulsions or just plain weaknesses are now described as addictions. More than 200 different kinds of addictions are now dealt with by groups in America. Now, here's what we do. We want to give it a clinical name so then we can deal with it clinically rather than call it uh, you know, rather than call it something like um, a weakness, it's an addiction. And Scripture talks about this. Look at this verse. In Second Peter it says, people are slaves to anything that controls them. People are slaves to anything that controls them. Now, here's what's really kind of, kind of funky about this. God gives us stuff for our pleasure. I mean, God gave us fajitas. God gives us things for our pleasure. It's, it's when we substitute the things that God gave us for our pleasure, when we get obsessed with them, that it, they, become, they become these gods of pleasure. Uh, let, me, let me see if I can illustrate. I've got a nine-year-old at home. Let's say uh, I bring home a PlayStation 4. Is that such a thing? Okay, all right, good. All right. Good. Is there one better than that, or is that as good as it gets? That's a high. Oh, I did my research right on. Okay, PlayStation 4. And I give it to her, and she would be ecstatic. I mean, she would just be, by, by the way, not going to happen. Anyway, PlayStation 4. I mean, I could just imagine the question after, after the service. Am I really going to get one of those? <laughs> no. Uh, so, PlayStation 4, I bring it home. Elise is crazy happy about it. She plugs it in. Oh, thank you, Daddy. And she's so sweet to say thank you about stuff like that. So she would thank me and hug me and kiss me on my cheek. And she would tell me what a great dad I am. You're the greatest dad ever. And, and, that, and we would, I'd get that for a day or two. But now you, you've given your children things before. And what if she became obsessed playing PlayStation 4? 
she, she starts playing it all the time. And then she starts complaining that she doesn't have all the, uh, the attachments that you, you can't have attachments, right? Uh, all the attachments that go along with it. And, you know, Daddy, I like the PlayStation 4, but there are some attachments that I need. And all of a sudden you go home one day and you say, hey, honey, I, why don't we go play tennis? Or why don't we go for a walk? Or why don't we go kick the soccer ball? And she says, no, I'd rather play PlayStation. Now, how would you feel as the giver of the gift to be replaced in affection by the gift you've given? Well, this is sort of what happens with us and God. He gives us these great gifts, gifts of, you know, taste buds. Man, that's a gift from God. Being able to taste great things, it's great. Uh, Sex is a great gift. Relationships are great gifts. But if we have too much of a good thing, if we're not careful, we replace the giver of the gift with the gift that was given. Does that make sense? So we have to be cautious of this. God gives us these gifts for our pleasure, but we have to be cautious. Okay, so we're going to go to the Old Testament. We're going to look at a story, and we're going to talk about how to defeat the gods of pleasure today. All right. So I got to do a little bit of a little bit of a quick review in the Old Testament. Um, The Israelites, God's chosen people, were slaves in Egypt 430 years or so. Um, They have a deliverer. His name was? Moses. Yes. But you have to say it like that. Moses. Okay. Moses. Moses delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. You remember the ten plagues? There's a movie. It's really good. It's called, you know, the Ten Commandments or something. And um, they get delivered, and they make it to the cusp of the promised land. God says, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to give you a land a land flowing with milk and honey. They make it to the cusp. Moses doesn't get to take them in. A new leader takes his place. His name is Joshua. Joshua takes them into the promised land and, be, and leads these amazing military exercises that cause defeat for the people in the particular country. And Israel begins to take the country over. All right. Now, Joshua grows old. At the end of his life, he makes this speech. He makes it in a town called Shechem. And this is sort of his, this is his farewell address to the nation that he got to lead into the promised land. Let's look at it. Joshua said, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river back in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, Now, this is really important. If you want to underline this in your Bible or highlight it, really important. He asks the question, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose. You you get to choose. It's the same thing for us. We get to choose. We can choose the giver of good gifts or we can choose to worship the gifts. You choose. Then choose for yourself this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river back in Egypt or the gods of the Amorites whose lands you're now living in. But for me, in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And, And this is sort of putting a stake in the ground. Hey, Israelites, God just delivered us. We probably ought to serve him. We've seen amazing things that he has done. We've had these military conquests that we shouldn't have had. We've beaten people we shouldn't have beaten. This is amazing stuff. We should worship God. I can't tell you what to do, Joshua basically says, but I can tell you what I'm going to do. 
As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, fast forward about uh, several hundred years. Israel begins on a really good path. They serve God, they love God, they worship God. But different kings um, sort of start taking over. Now, what you need to know is we're going to be in 1 Kings 16 through 18. I'm just going to kind of overview it a little bit, but I'll show you the text. Um, During the time uh, that we're talking about today, the nation of Israel gets divided into a northern kingdom. The northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. All right. Now, the northern kingdom, uh, they're led by a king named Jeroboam. Interestingly enough, the southern king, uh, southern king is named uh, uh, Jeroboam Rehoboam. Okay? Everybody was a Boam back then. Must have been a popular name. I would be Joaboam. Benaboam. I mean, you know, it's kind of how it would go. So Boam was the, the name of choice. Now, Jeroboam had a problem. You got a northern kingdom, you have a southern kingdom. The place designated to worship God was in Jerusalem. Guess which kingdom that was in? Southern. All right, if you're the, ki- if you're the king of the northern kingdom and people, your people have to go south to worship. By the way, I used to always point this out when I lived in Michigan with those people from the north. I pointed out that God resided in the south. Uh, so, uh, same today, same thing today. Okay. If you're the king of the northern kingdom and everybody is going south into the southern kingdom to worship, you got a problem. And so, Jeroboam strategically comes up with a plan to help people not have to go down south. Now, you could say, well, how about uh, he make a, a place in the northern kingdom for, for the God worshipers? Well, that, that, would, that, would have been a, that would have been a plan. That's not the plan he came up with. So he started saying stuff like this. Man, have you been to Jerusalem lately? Traffic down there is whack. I mean, you know, there's, you can't get a hotel room. Those southerners are rednecks. I mean, he would say stuff like that. Why don't we start worshiping something else? And so, this is what's kind of freaky interesting to me. Jeroboam, he goes over to the storage shed. It's kind of how it reads. He opens up the storage cabinet, and there are the gods they took out of Egypt. Hundreds of years ago. And they start pulling those out. They dust them off. And they said, hey, these will be our gods. Let's let this, let's let these things be our gods. So for years and years and years, this happens. Now, Jeroboam is is, um, eventually replaced by a guy named Ahab. Let's look at Ahab's, this is on his resume. Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, northern kingdom, and he reigned over Israel uh, 22 years. Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. That was quite an accomplishment. Because there were some really bad kings. And yet Ahab was as bad as it gets. He was the worst ever. Up to that point, it was bad. And he was sort of despicable. And then he married a lady named Jezebel. He didn't marry a Jezebel. He married the original Jezebel. And I mean, she was... She was from a foreign country. She worshipped other gods. And he sort of commissions her to be, she was sort of secretary of religion. That's kind of a title I would give her. 
And as secretary of religion, she gathered all the God-fearing, all the God-fearing priests and, and worshipers, and she executed them. And she kind of set up in place these other things. And the most horrific thing they did, they built a temple to the god Baal, B-A-A-L, or Baal. It depends on how you want to say it. Really, Baal is more accurate. But we'll say Baal because that's how we all learned it. And they set up a temple to Baal. Now, something interesting happens. God is incredibly patient, but his patience does seem to run out at times. And so God commissions a prophet. His name is Elijah. And Elijah and Ahab have a conversation. Elijah goes to King Ahab and he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Um, there's a drought coming. And the drought won't be over until I say it's over. See ya. That's what, I mean, that was kind of the conversation. Elijah comes into Ahab's uh, palace. He says, there's going to be a, dude, by the way, there's going to be a famine. Uh, there's going to be a drought. And uh, it won't be over till I say it's over. Um, I'm out. And what's really kind of, this is super cool. Baal, remember we talked about Baal, the temple of Baal? Baal was the Egyptian god of the weather. Uh, I, think that's, I think it's kind of funny that God basically said, okay, if you're going to worship this god for rain, I'll just cut off the rain. I'll just make it not rain. And he did make it not rain. It's like you can worship this God if you want to, but it's really not in, in control. And what I like about God is he, he is good to not be passive aggressive. He sort of confronts us in our sin where our sin is. And so it shouldn't come as a surprise to us if we make something else in our life more important than him, he'll address that. So you, you might make um, your finances more important, or your work might be more important, or your business, or, or sex, or happiness. And, and if you're not careful, he'll frustrate those things. You'll have frustration in those things because those have become your gods. And God is good about this. He's just not passive-aggressive. Now, Theologians would call this the active wrath of God. He actively does something in this case. There's also something called the passive wrath of God. Did you know that? Everybody know that? Anybody know that? Aren't you glad you came today? I mean, you get, uh, today when you go to lunch and you see your friends from other churches, you can say, you know, we, we learned uh, that they serve fajitas in the temple and that there's such a thing as an active and a passive wrath of God. Now, the active wrath of God is, is when he, like he does here, he creates a drought when you're worshiping rain. There's also kind of a passive wrath of God. That would be in, in Romans 1. By the way, in the summer, we're going to go through Romans a little bit. We're going to call it the summer in Rome. I'm kind of excited about that. And in Romans 1, it uses language like, like this. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And then it says, every time it says that, and the Lord gave them over to a depraved mind and shameful lusts. They, they did some things and they experienced the consequences of those things. That's kind of what he's talking about. I think parents should emulate that, by the way. I think there are times when you should let 
your kids experience the consequences. My buddy Mike Wilson, I'll talk about him a, a lot, and I hope Mike gets to come visit us someday. Mike and I were best of friends growing up. He lived down the street from me. We went to the same church. We, um, we grew up together. We played wiffle ball in the backyard. We played football. We played basketball. Mike and I, were we were just buddies. And when we got to be about 18 or 19 years old, we decided that we wanted to start um, dipping snuff. Because that makes a lot of sense. And you can put the can in your back pocket and you have a little ring. And that's cool, man. I mean, that's really cool, the little ring. So, now, Mike and I, neither one are... We're, uh, we're kind of sissies. All right, so... Um, we didn't want to go with Skoll or Copenhagen. We tried that. So we found a product that worked for us called Hawkins. You ever heard of it? Oh, you have. <laughs> I got some right. Uh, okay. Hawkins was basically 5% um, tobacco and 95% wax. I mean, it really. Um, but we looked really cool because we had a dip between our cheek and gum like you're supposed to have. We had us some Hawkins. We were cool. Everybody knew we were cool because we had the ring on our pocket. All right. Now, one day, for some reason, we ran out of Hawkins. So we go to Kroger. Do you all have Kroger around here? It's a, it's a grocery store, Kroger's. We go to Kroger. We look at the Hawkins um, display, and there was none. <laughs> there are a bunch of little sissies like us. We're scrolling through. Oh, We've got to get something. We're not going to get Skull, Copenhagen, no. Then we see this little can that it looked like it would contain film, like a film container, if y'all remember what film is, uh, uh, when cameras actually use film. And, and it said, peach snuff. We like peaches. So we decided we were going to get us some peach snuff. We bought it, we took it to the car, we opened it up, and it was powder. It was real powder, you know, like Hawkins and Skull, it's, it's, like, it's like grass clippings, basically. Well, this stuff was powder. So my brilliant friend Mike looks at it and he says to me, Dude, I think you snort it. What an idiot. And I said, I think you're right. So I got a lump of this stuff on my thumb, as much as I could put, a mound of snuff, peach snuff, and I snorted it. I did it first. I really believe that somebody had shot this side of my face off. <laughs> my eye starts watering. I can't control it. I can't feel my ear. I'm hitting it. Drool out the side of my mouth. So Mike looks at me and he says, how was it? <laughs> to which I say, it's awesome, man. Give it a go. Okay, I tell you that story for this reason. Sometimes you have to experience the consequence of something bad. By the way, 
Mike snorted it. What a, what a goose. Um, but we only did it once. We only did it once. We were, weren't, weren't dumb enough to do it more than once. But, but you learn through experience. Okay, so God sometimes uses active wrath. Sometimes, And wrath is kind of a harsh word, but you understand. He lets us sometimes experience the consequences. Well, in this particular case, the people were worshiping another God, and God uses an active wrath, and he withholds rain. Now, let's fast forward the story. Elijah challenges, this is like, he challenges all the priests and prophets of the other God, of the Baals and the Ashtoreth, it's another God, and he challenges them like to a cage match, like, like kind of like a cage match. And they were both to set up altars, and then they were to call down fire from their gods, and, and if, if this god won, if the god of Baal and Ashtoreth, if it was able to consume the, the altar, the fire, and, the, and the, uh, the bull that was sacrificed, then they would win, and if Elijah was able to call down fire, they would win, and he has this great big challenge, really cool, let me show you, Elijah said, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel, I want a huge audience, I want people to watch this, this is going to be good. No pay-per-view. You can come for free. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And I have that twice. Look at verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, Now tell me where you've heard this before. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Who said that earlier? Joshua. Isn't it interesting? So basically, Elijah is quoting Joshua, and he asks the same question. Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to worship? Now, look at this. Um, The Bible tells us, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And they had made for themselves an idol. But what's interesting to me is the people remained silent. They, They didn't say which God they were going to serve. They kind of just didn't say anything. Now, we do that sometimes. I mean, we sort of don't commit. What we want is we want God not on a throne, but on a love seat. How many people sit on a love seat? Two, right? We don't want God to be on a throne with one. We want God to sit on a throne with two. And and we'll say, God, you you can be part of my life, but you're going to have to sit next to and then you fill in the blank. Whatever it is, whatever you're obsessed with, whatever thing has become your other idol, television or pleasure or sex or money, whatever it is, it, it, for you it's going to probably be different for me, but we invite God to sit on the love seat. And God wants to be on the throne. And he says, hey, I'm, I'm the only God. So there's this huge challenge. And Elijah says to these guys, I'm going to give you the home court advantage. You guys choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. And they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced all around the altar they had made. But they're not having any luck. So, so <laughs> this is what I love about Elijah. Elijah is my favorite character in Scripture because he is a trash talker. And he begins to talk some smack. And he says to these 850 prophets... Shout louder. I love it. And he he says, he literally says, maybe he's in the toilet. Maybe he's doing some business in the john. Maybe he's in the porta potty. This is what this is literally what he says. 
shout louder. Maybe he's asleep. Your God, surely he's a God. He's just taking a break. He's taking a smoke. I mean, he's just not there. Shout louder. So they did. They shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. And we look at that and we say, how primitive. Yeah, but we bleed for our gods too. I mean, how many people have given up careers for a, an obsession? How many people have given up their families because they become obsessed with something? Now we bleed, we just bleed different. And then Elijah steps forward. They can't get their deal done and Elijah has his soaked in water and he steps forward. And then he says, oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are the God of Israel. And immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and they cried out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. He, he really is. And we should acknowledge it. And when we get in the deep weeds with these gods of pleasure... There's a way to get out. And we're going to go through it really quickly, okay? There's a way to get out. Number one, you begin today. In Ecclesiastes it says, those who wait for perfect weather will never plant a seed. You begin today. The person who really wants to change will make a way. The person who really doesn't want to change will find an excuse. That's how it works. Begin today. Number two, you've got to own it. It's yours. In Proverbs it says, people ruin their lives with the foolish things they do. And then they blame the Lord, or they blame their parents, or they blame their teacher, or they blame their preacher, or they blame their boss, or they blame their situation. We are a blaming people. If we have a problem, we should own it. Third, we flee from temptation. Look what it says in Romans. Let every part of you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not allow your weak thoughts to lead you into sinful actions. In Proverbs 4 it says, Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. We have to figure out, before we're tempted, we have to have a plan. I, I, when, I, when I talk to young people a lot of times, I'll say, <laughs> you know, you got to have a plan when you're dating. Because you're going to be controlled by your plans or your glands. That's how it works. So you got to have a plan. Might mean you need, need to make new friends, or you need to move, or you need to change jobs. It says flee temptation. That means get up and leave. One more. We focus on something better. Philippians 4 8 says, Fill your mind with things that are good and deserve praise, things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and honorable. Let's do a little experiment, okay? Real quickly. Look at me. Look at me. I don't want you to think about snakes right now, okay? Don't think about them. Don't think about how slippery they are. Don't think about they might be under your feet. Don't think about, I'm from Kentucky and we handle them during services. Don't think about that, okay? Don't think about their little forked tongues. Don't think about their beady little eyes. Just don't think about their scaly skins. Don't think about them. Don't think about how creepy they are. Okay, how many of you are, were able to not think about snakes? Yeah, not many, because, because, and those of you who are, you're ruining it for me, so thanks a lot. Um, it's hard to be told not to think, all right, but let's do something else. Right now, I want you to think about your grandma's apple pie, 
Can I get a witness? I mean, yeah. Grandma's apple pie. And she puts a little dollop of, of ice cream on top. Vanilla. And you take the first bite. You know how this is. You take the first bite and the hot pie and the cold ice cream. You get the perfect mixture of hot and cold. How many of you are thinking about snakes right now? See, it's a little principle. It's it's the principle of replacement. If If I don't want to think about this, I need to think about something else. See, there's no such thing as a vacuum. Vacuums in, in the world really don't exist because uh, they're always filled with something. It, my gas tank is never empty. It, it's filled with gas or it's filled with air. It, it's never really <laughs> empty. It's got something in there. Your mind has something in there. And the Bible tells us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I want to end with one verse, a couple verses here. Do not let sin control the way you live. I mean, let's just end there. There are gods of pleasure. I absolutely get it. We don't have to let them control us. We don't have to let them control us. Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take up our offering. And after the service, I'm going to stand right over there. And um, if you want to, like, if you have anything you want to talk about, if you want me to pray with you over there, I'm happy to do that. I'm going to be right over there. And if you, you know, this has kind of prompted you to think about certain things and you want to chat about it, I'm going to be right over there right after the service. But right now, my ushers are going to come forward. Ushers, if you would come ush, that would be great. And I'm going to pray a blessing on our offering, and then I'll close this in just a second. Lord, thank you for our time together today. Thank you that we have the opportunity to give back to you a portion of what you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you care about us, and that you continue to provide for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, if you're a guest, please don't feel like this is for you. This is uh, something we do every week as an act of worship. We're going to take the time right now to do it.